You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord God, thanks for your goodness to us, for your love and mercy. We ask now for your Holy Spirit's presence with us and to help us understand your word, your truth. Thank you for one another in Christ. And together we praise you. Amen. What is heaven like? Uh, Cam said, well, we've got two topics. We've got heaven, we've got hell. I'm going to take hell. Would you take heaven? Um, So that was the invitation. Um, And I'm kind of delighted to be able to talk about uh, heaven uh, this morning, just briefly. I don't think that I'm going to be giving you any breaking news, anything radically different. Um, Just here. Everybody got one of these outlines? It'll help us following through and... And there may be some stuff you want to go back to, or hopefully there may be. How many of you saw the memorial service for Barbara Bush? Uh, We kind of just happened to turn it on. Um, We had gone for a run, and we, which is our usual Saturday morning uh, experience. We stopped for coffee, got home, had an early lunch, turned the TV on, and I had forgotten you know the timing of the service and I'd forgotten to tape it so I'm glad we turned it on because it really was an exceptional funeral service I was very we were both uh, much more moved than we anticipated and uh, you know the clarity of Barbara Pierce Bush's testimony and life in Christ came through in a very credible way and Jeb Bush, uh, in his uh, uh, in his remarks, which were excellent, talked about um, asking, and one of the last times he had with his mother, uh, asking her if she was ready to die. And uh, he said, without any hesitation, uh, she said, "I believe in Jesus." And he is my savior. I don't want to leave your dad, but I believe I'll be in a better place. But the clarity of I believe in Jesus and he's my savior. And uh, we watched the CNN commentators after the service and uh, they were remarkably moved. And several of them referenced the comment to Jesus Christ. Now, you know, we won't get this in any more news clips because that's just not what, you know, is kind of the the hook. Uh, but after the fact, uh, and I, I one, I realized that as they commented how painful our country is right now, how much pain people feel and angst over our present political situation. And here for a brief moment was kind of a reprieve, an understanding of the quality of uh, a life in Christ. And in 2015, Barbara, uh, in the Episcopal Church that she's a part of in Houston, kind of reconfirmed her faith in Christ. 
in a chapel service, she kind of rededicated herself to the Lord. And sort of the clarity of this witness was, to me, very compelling. Um, I believe in Jesus, and he's my Savior. I don't want to leave your dad, but I will be in a very beautiful place. Uh, One of the things that we've done with our kids in the past, and we were searching through, we remember our middle son uh, drawing a picture of heaven. And it would be interesting, and if I knew you better, some of you I don't know at all, but if I knew you better, I'd ask you to take out a piece of paper and draw me a picture of what you think heaven will be like. Now, aren't you glad that I don't know you? (laughs) But (coughs) if you just mentally right now were to uh, draw a picture of heaven, what would it consist of? We rem- I remember Andrews, <clears throat> uh, and I don't know, I forget how old he was, uh, in elementary school when he drew this picture. Uh, he drew a picture of a castle with a very bright sun and many people milling around inside and outside the castle. And that was his um, picture of heaven. I think mentally and artistically, we want to sort of develop a mental image of heaven. Um, And I think we struggle with that because um, the Bible doesn't really give us a mental picture. It gives us a metaphoric picture. It gives us an artistic picture, uh, as we'll see. But it's a picture that needs to be interpreted in relationships. So one of the things I think about heaven is that it's not about real estate. It's about relationships. And you know in magazines like Good Housekeeping or, you know, I don't, I don't even know, but Architectural Digest or some of these magazines, if you remember seeing those, you see pictures of beautiful homes, but what's missing? People. We don't want to clutter the picture up with people. Uh, so seldom do you see people living in these beautiful homes. Uh, they are vacant of people. Um, but I think the relational side is so much more compelling than the real estate side when you look at what heaven is all about. On your outline, uh, Jesus and the apostles emphasize the immediacy of heaven. Remember Jesus' conversation with the uh, thief on the cross Jesus said to the criminal, one of them, the one that had taken sides with Jesus in those last moments, he said, tell you truly, today you will be with me in paradise. And then the quote from Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, pardon me. I'm going to read it now. Uh, It's there and it's from the King James Version. I'm just going to read the bold part. Therefore, we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. This may raise one of the questions that people have about heaven. When you die, where do you go? And how would you respond to your second grader? 
that says, when you die, where do you go? To be with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Is there an intermediate state before that final reckoning of judgment and the consummation of salvation? One of the interesting truths, and I don't, you know, the Bible doesn't really say a whole lot about this, but you know, both time and space are creations. We live in a created cosmos. Both time and space are creations. When we leave this cosmos, when we leave this created sphere, we really can't imagine what it's like outside of that. Now, if this sounds sort of unbelievable or incredible, think for a moment of how much in this natural sphere is totally incredible to us. Like, we just would not know that this solid piece of wood is really mainly space. But that's what scientists tell us that within that atom, it's mainly space and not matter. And that a tablespoon of pure matter is just unbelievably heavy. We just, I mean, there's things about our natural world that we cannot sort of fathom. And so then how can we fathom what is beyond space and time? And uh, what is important about that, and the Bible keeps reiterating this over and over again, is that uh, it is the presence of God that defines heaven. And that uh, heaven is kind of a label that describes, uh, you know, when, when Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again so that where I am, you may be also. And that kind of is sort of the definition of what it will be to be in the presence of God. To be absent from the body, present with the Lord. My second point there is, as Christians mature, the line between earth and heaven grows thinner. Uh, It's not like salvation is a guarantee of a ticket to heaven. That's not what's important about salvation. Salvation is that I have begun to live in relationship with my Creator and my Redeemer. And I'm living into that personal, relational reality. So when Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly, I'm already living into the heaven reality. When he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you, I'm I'm living into that kingdom reality. When Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's living into that relational reality in the presence of God. So in one sense, heaven begins now. The reality of living into the presence of God within this particular space-time frame of reference uh, is not unlike what it is going to be like in the 
when we're outside of that particular kind of space-time understanding. Number three on your outline, our ability to describe what happens outside this space-time continuum is limited. It's difficult for us to comprehend life based on life rather than death. You realize that our life now is based on death, decay, digestion, deterioration. Life is based on death. What will it be like to have life based on life? We can't begin to fathom that. Life based on life instead of life based on death. It is a complete reorientation of what it means to be created in his image. But actually, you know, life based on death is a result of the fall. Life based on life is what God intended all along. Uh, and if there isn't a little bit of mind-blowing aspect to this, I don't know what would be. Uh, the bold print under three, we can hardly even imagine what life will be like without pain and suffering and grief and mourning. Since our only experience has been based on death, how can we begin to fathom life based on life? And the great reversal is beyond our ability to grasp, but then there's a great deal in our immediate natural world that seems beyond our comprehension. Sometimes we just get glimmers of that. Um, my dad uh, died when he was 48, uh, and I was in the room when he died. He died from um, actually a medical mistake. Um, he did have, though, terminal cancer, but his death was hastened because of uh, he was given a wrong injection. But uh, for three days, he was just totally out of it and totally weak, could do nothing for himself. And uh, and then all of a sudden, on that third day, and there were several of us in the room, he opened his eyes wide, looked at the window, and here's this man who couldn't do anything physically, raised both hands up in the air, looked square at my mother, and died. And, you know, it was, you know, totally unexpected, um, but it was like a signal that, you know, death does not end all, that there is more. I mean, uh, that last act kind of bore witness to that, at least to us Websters that were in the room. Um, 1 Corinthians 15 uh, is there on your uh, sheet indented. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. And that means we will not all die, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, which is to say life not based on death, but life based on life. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. 
Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I don't believe that there's any kind of disembodied sphere. And that's because I think we're in a time-space kind of set creation. And once we step out of that, we're in a sphere of being in the presence of God and all that was understood by the consummation of the end of the age and the judgment is, is kind of fulfilled. We're into that present reality. The Hebrew mind knew nothing of sort of a, a body separated from the soul. They only knew an integrated, fully integrated person. And I think that carries over. So I don't think your spirit kind of lives on and waits for time to catch up because there is no time to catch up because time is a creation. What I do believe that the Bible would teach us is that to be, as we've said, absent from the body, present with the Lord. When this uh, mortal life is taken on immortality, uh, when death has been swallowed up. B, our future reality is defined best in relationship, not in real estate. And there, if we turn to that John 14 passage, as one theologian has said, what we call heaven, John's Jesus calls where I am. His voice, his presence, his desire for us define our future home. The Father's house is the real presence of Jesus Christ himself with his people. This is the next life's most simple, compact, intimate, and adequate definition. You're with him. And we best avoid going beyond this description in heaven. I've been to funerals in which the, the dearly departed are pictured as uh, enjoying shopping malls in heaven and uh, golf courses in the Celestial Country Club, I think that would trivialize our understanding of heaven. But I want to say more about that um, before we're through. To fantasize about heaven in this trivial way indicates that we cannot imagine enjoying the presence of Christ apart from worldly pleasures. Um, uh, Virginia's dad died... um, January 29th, what, about 11 weeks ago, and uh, uh, he died at 94, uh, a very full life. Uh, it's really interesting, you know, you, you pray for your loved ones that, uh, if at all possible, they may physically and mentally and emotionally uh, kind of be present to reality until the day they die. And... Uh, That prayer was wonderfully answered for Virginia's dad, Paul Long. Uh, That weekend, he had been to the gym, 94, but still went to um, Mississippi College's recreational center, and he would walk and swim. Um, And uh, the particular reason for uh, that concluding uh, physical issue was that he had been to a concert with friends, and uh, they had gone to get the car, and he had taken his walker and somewhat characteristically was kind of moving forward when the person who had gone to get the car thought that he would just stay still. And his walker got caught in the curb, and he fell. And uh, unbeknownst to everybody, began internally bleeding. 
but it was uh, so he didn't get to the hospital until a day later, and uh, he died shortly thereafter, a matter of hours. But it was really a wonderful way to go. Um, as he said to Paul uh, uh, Jr., uh, Virginia's brother, I'm homesick for heaven. And I think as time goes on and more and more of our loved ones and our friends are in his presence, uh, there is a sense in which heaven gets a lot closer to us and the reality of it uh, becomes more, um, more immediate, more real. He was quoting Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and you'll direct your paths. He was quoting that in four languages about an hour before he died um, because he had uh, spent a career, of course, with Virginia's mom, uh, who died 12 years earlier, uh, in, uh, in the Congo and then in Brazil. He was quoting in Portuguese. He had to learn French in order to work in the Belgium Congo, so he was quoting in French and in English. So his mind right up to the end was, was working well. But I guess that I am homesick for heaven. And uh, the sense of being um, kind of available for this life based on life instead of life based on death. Uh, I grew up probably with an early sense of mortality. Um, I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma my senior year in high school. And then dad died and then my mother had a heart attack. So uh, by the time I was through college, I had kind of a sense, yeah, you do. You do die. You don't live forever. Um, in, in this sphere of life. And uh, I think that draws the meaning of Christian truth into our lives in a more real, in a more uh, in practical way. Um, so that for me, it is meaningful to think that the line between earth and heaven is thin and that we live into our salvation and we begin to sort of live into the consciousness of the presence of God even now. Um, you know, can we really appreciate heaven if 24-7 there isn't a consciousness of living as a follower of Jesus Christ, being present to him in worship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If that's if that's a foreign thing, then I think heaven's foreign. If that's a real thing, then I think heaven becomes more real. Uh, C.S. Lewis, this is on page two at the top of the page. This is the home we long for. I'm just homesick for heaven. C.S. Lewis observed, uh, this is in his book, The Problem of Pain. We're very shy nowadays of even mentioning heaven. We're afraid of the jeer about pie in the sky and of being told that we are trying to escape from the duty of making a happy world here and now into the dreams of a happy world elsewhere. But either there is a pie in the sky or there is not. If there is not, then Christianity is false. For this doctrine is woven into its whole fabric. If there is then this truth, like any other, must be faced whether it is useful or not. Again, we're afraid that heaven is a bribe.
Well, let's just stop here. And do you have any comments, reflections, questions? What kind of questions are your children asking about heaven? Or what prompts those questions, do you think? Yes. Uh, I agree with you that there is no intermediary state. That the absent from the body is the present of the Lord. But how? um, So Jesus was raised, you know, bodily, and you know he was immediately glorified body and appearing to disciples. But you know, we die, and you know the body's in the ground, but we're with the Lord. So I mean, how would you explain that? Well, I don't think this old body. You know, the the one that is cremated or put in the ground is going to be the the substance that God uses in that new glorified resurrected body. Um, I love those happy sounds, though. You're all really quiet, so I'm glad there's some life over here. Uh, uh, so, but can I explain that mystery? I don't think so. I. I do think we can understand that both place and time are creations. And therefore, beyond that, then, it's hard for us to imagine. But what we're told is that there is that present immediate reality with God. Um, And how and when do we receive that new glorified and present? You know, even with Jesus, remember when Mary is clutching him and he says, uh, don't cling to me. I have not yet ascended to the Father. (coughs) So what is that gap there um, between the ascension to the Father and to having a glorified yet identifiable resurrected body? What will that be like? So, yeah, I just have to, I guess, you don't want to put mystery at the, you know, at the gaps of understanding. But I think that we just haven't been informed as to kind of the the timing of this. Because it's a timing we can't really comprehend. At least that's how I see it. Yes? I have a, a little follow-up, and I want you to tell me if my thinking is correct. On this, my son asks questions all the time about heaven, but I think it's because he's artistic. Like, he wants to draw pictures and all mm-hmm. of So he asks me a lot of what we're going to look like. Um, and these are my thoughts, which may not be biblical at all, so you have to tell me. But it says we're made in the image of God. But it also says that when Jesus got his glorified body, you remember when he was walking with the disciples and they were talking about his death and they were like, how, how have you not heard? And they didn't recognize him. Um, so do you think it's that the glorified body that we have in heaven is similar enough to a human structure that it's it's not odd, but it's we're in we're different? Does that make sense? Yeah. If you said that to your kid, you might make. I don't say that to him. He, just, he, he might think that that's that. kind of weird. What am I going to look like? Yeah. You know, the disciples did recognize Jesus. And when he was, uh, you know, when he was on the beach, uh, breakfast on the beach after the resurrection, John 21, um, they knew it was him. But they felt like asking, who are you? And it's sort of an interesting dynamic because uh, I do think that, uh, you know, the implication is, well, one, I think God created us 
and he was proud of his creation. Before the fall, you know, we were, and, and you know, uh, when you think about it, it's not like this was a mistake who he made and how he made us. So I think, you know, if you can imagine our, our bodies that, you know, don't wear out and don't feel pain and, and, and don't suffer and are not in any way disabled or decrepit, um, I think that would be a start, at least, for imagining the new glorified resurrected body. Um, I don't know the physics of that. You know, he, he seemed to appear. Um, I don't know if that it has anything to do with what we're going to experience. Um, I don't know how to explain that miraculous element and if we have any part to play with that. Um, it just, uh, you know, it blows my mind, you know, life based on death versus life based on life. I can't really get my mind around that because I'm so wired for life based on death. Um, yeah. I didn't answer your question, but I talked a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I think what's impressive is that your child is even asking questions on that, which reveals like um, parents that are talking about heaven, and it's a place. And so then kids, yes, and it's all over the map and how they express it, but they're at least, um, it's a theological reality that they're trying to grasp. You know, in, in Scripture, there's two Greek words for time, kairos and chronos. And chronos is kind of everyday time. It's minutes and months and years. Kairos is sort of that special time. You know, and, and you'll speak of kind of a, a kairos moment. And, you know, you know, think back over your life, and, and there are kairos moments, unique, distinctive, special times. And that's not everyday time. You know, you could never live all of those moments every moment of the day. But what if, though, what if everything was Kronos time? What if everything was Kairos time? What if everything was a sense in which God's grace in a very special, profound, and impactful way was right now and current? We can't imagine living that type of special life. And yet what if that is sort of the, the reality? Um, that we're looking forward to. I think a lot of kids would probably feel that heaven's boring, especially when you say heaven's constant worship, and they think, you know, the endless Advent service. (laughs) That's what heaven is like. Um, But I would prefer that we think of the most special occasions, the times when we think back with the greatest memories that what if heaven was lived in that kind of reality? Um, have any of your children drawn pictures of heaven? Has this been a... Yeah, so I remember when my grandfather died last June, like my five-year-old girl was worried about the practical stuff, like how is he going to get in heaven? She started, she started suggesting maybe a final chair or a kite will bring him there. And it was kind of sweet. And then uh, a little later we were in a plane and she and I saw her looking through the window, realizing we were in the clouds. And she couldn't close that window fast enough. So she, because she thought, is this ha- am I, I going to see his body flying? Is there something? Oh. <laughs> it's appealing about the whole afterlife. And I'm 
and I don't really know how to ask all her questions. I usually say ask her Sunday school teacher. But interesting, with your father in heaven, it makes it more real for her to be thinking of heaven. She thinks it's kind of scary. She laughs about it a lot, and then she kind of fantasizes about the practical stuff. And then, but I, I realize she is scared by it because it's such a mysterious thing, and I, and you have to find like the right words to comfort her. And, mm-hmm. Anyone else? Sort of similar to Julie, um, my grandfather died long before either of my children were born, but I have a picture of my wedding day that has my grandmother and my grandfather, and they know my grandmother, who is 94, and they say, well, where's Bo? And I say, Bo's in heaven. Well, is mommy going to go with Bo in heaven? Where is heaven? And it's the where. It's the, like Julie said, the very physical, tangible, you know, is it in the clouds? Well, if I look up, am I going to see Bo? Am I going to, you know, how does this, mm-hmm. how does this work? <laughs> so it's just the where, very much like the real estate versus relationships aspect of it. Well, and even the word heaven, I mean, that creates the heavens. And that's a biblical idea, heaven and the heavens, uh, to indicate to us a transcendence, an aboveness, um, a, a highness. Um but it's not to indicate, you know, in the clouds, living in the clouds in sort of a celestial upper chamber. Um, I mean, that, and that's where I think the biblical notion of living into the presence of God now as a way of underscoring that heaven is about relationships, not real estate even though the place will be most real. So let's look at the Apostle John's poetic description of heaven. And uh, I have found that, uh, you know, most people don't like the book of Revelation. That's why I call it the devil's favorite book, because it is the canonical conclusion. It is the completion of the word of God. But the devil has scared us off from it. Um, and maybe that's because it has a history um, that is a distortion. Uh, I find it a very, I find it now as understandable as the Gospel of John. In fact, it's interesting because the Gospel of John has so much hidden meaning. It's simple on the surface, very deep. And John, and I think it's the same. Spirit-inspired author wrote the book of Revelation in code with symbols and images, but conveys the same gospel truth. But let's get a feel for how John expresses heaven uh, from Revelation 21. He's already spoken in the 21st chapter of a new heaven and a new earth. And in those first few verses of chapter 21, he says there will be no sea. Well, I have a son who loves the ocean, professional ocean lifeguard, went down to Costa Rica and he's been there for 10 years to set up a lifeguard program. I can't imagine Andrew living any other place than by the ocean. He's a waterman. And then you read, there will be no sea. So heaven already isn't such a likable place for my son Andrew. 
But that's where we have to understand that John's writing to us in in metaphor and symbol. And what the sea represented to the Hebrew culture was uh, chaos, turmoil, confusion. Um, And it was sort of a monster metaphor for all that is wrong and tumultuous about life. so I, you know, in talking with Andrew, um, I've said, Andrew, I do think that there will be oceans. I think that there'll be uh, water. There'll be seas. That it's part of God's beautiful creation. Um, there just won't be drownings. There won't be tsunamis. Um, uh, there won't be shark attacks. Um, it'll be the sea minus evil. Uh, it'll be water minus evil. Um, So beginning in verse uh, 6, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. Ah, I just noticed the time. I mean, how can you talk about uh, Kairos and Kronos time and then be in uh, Kronos time? Um, uh, You might read that description. I won't read it all to you. Uh, In Revelation 21, flip the side. Let me just sort of summarize here. the pastor poet's description of the New Jerusalem, uh, and I'm just going to read the bold. You can read the, the light uh, if you'd like. From every angle, the holy city is complete and whole, from relationships to rest and from aesthetics to politics. You kind of have to understand the whole Bible in order to understand the metaphor, that the metaphors and the poetic way that John uses to describe this garden city of God, this holy city. Um, Letter B, in John's poetic revelation, four key metaphors converge. The bride. You know, when I think of Kairos time, I one of the very special occasions that comes through is the, the wedding of uh, our daughter. It was kind of the culmination of our ministry of 14 years at First Presbyterian Church in San Diego. Uh, it was very much of uh, the church engaged in the wedding. It was such a special day. And that, to me, kind of captures a bit of what heaven is going to be like. And with these bells, drop down to turn the page and go down to two on page four. We should not imagine heaven as a place that is in any way less satisfying relationally than our friendships and marriages on this side of eternity. I'm confident that we will one day laugh about such thoughts, wondering how we could have been so skeptical about heaven's fulfillment. What if in eternity all of our friendships are like the very best friendships we have ever experienced, only better? Uh, What if heaven is not so much minus marriage, but all marriage, all friendship? I mean, we can't imagine that, can we? I mean, I can't really imagine the, the intimacy and the friendship and the companionship right now with, with more than one person. Uh, but what if there was that sense of intimacy, that sense of friendship, that sense of companionship, that sense of oneness with us all? That's life based on life, not life based on death. I mean, these are ways of looking at heaven that I think speak of the fulfillment of who we were meant to be in the image of God. 
what we were created and redeemed to be now. Um, so with that, we'll have to end because of the time. But I feel like I'm just getting warmed up. You're probably really ready for a break. Let's pray. Lord God, thanks so much for your truth. Please guide us in an understanding so that it would deepen our hope and strengthen our sense of your presence today and help us to live into the future with a sense of confidence and a sense of courage and a resilience because of what you have promised to us and because of what we have already experienced of your presence. So together we praise you in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.